0: Hey, what's up, TLR? How y'all feeling? Y'all feeling good? Y'all feeling good? Yeah, I'm excited to be here tonight. Uh, Samer actually uh, hit me up uh, after he found out that he was exposed or potentially exposed, and said, hey, could you just come and talk and, and give a message? And for uh, those of y'all who were here a few weeks ago, uh, I had a blast last time that I was here. Uh, we got to talk a little bit in the series called Note to Self, which was super duper fun, and I am excited to be back here tonight. I have to say this. Uh, a few weeks ago, I leaned over to uh, Samer during uh, just the, the, the session and, and during uh, Brad's talk and during the worship And I just said, man, y'all got something special here at Woodstock TLR. If you believe that, can y'all put your hands together? It's really true. It's really true. Uh, Samer, I know you're watching with your beautiful baby girl, man. Excited to be here. Thank you uh, for allowing me to be here. Tonight, I want to talk about something that is very, very near and dear to my heart. It actually is a topic that changed my life. Now, I know when I say that, like we hear that a lot in culture, but I don't flippantly just say this changed my life. It changed the game for me. Hear me when I say that what I want to talk about tonight as, as I've embraced it over my own life, it's something that has completely changed my life for the better. So to tell you all about that, I got I to take you back a little bit. When I was 16 years old, I didn't start following Jesus at a church. I wasn't at a retreat. I wasn't at a, you know, like a FCA. I wasn't at anything religious. I was actually at a movie theater. And I'm hanging out at this movie theater, and uh, I'm with my friends, and I'm with my cousins, and I'm with my twin brother, and we're just hanging out. We got there early, so the person at the front desk said, hey, we're still cleaning the theater, you gotta go hang out uh, just like in, in, in in the front. So we go to the sidewalk, and we're just clowning, doing what guys do, telling your mama jokes, like all that stuff, right? So we're just clowning around, having fun, and this lady, she's walking by, and she's talking to people, and, and she's passing something out, and she's just talking to people, and, and we're like, this is weird, but she comes with, uh, to, to us and our group, and she starts talking about God and Jesus, and we're like, lady, you are, you are ruining the vibe, okay? We're getting ready to go into this theater and, and watch this movie, and, and we're going to have fun. We're 16. We're not trying to hear about that. So she starts con- continually talking to us and just being persistent, and then she finally says, hey, uh, I just want to ask you... Do, do you want a million dollars? We're like, sure. So she passes out these fake million dollar bills. I still have it today in, in, my, in my wallet. I carry it around. She, she said, I, I want to just give you this fake million dollar bill. And I, she's continued talking about God and Jesus. And she said, hey, I know y'all don't want anything to do with me, but I want you to turn this fake million dollar bill over and ask yourself the million dollar question. So we're like, all right, if this will get you out of our face, we'll do it. And so we turn it over And on the back, the million-dollar question, how does Tom Brady continue to do it? No, here it is. (laughs) It's true, though. How does he do it? Million-dollar question, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And y'all, at 16 years old, I wasn't ready for what took place next because as she began to ask us this question, as I began to process this question, it hit me like a ton of bricks. That that man, I, I don't know if I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I, I don't know if I have a relationship, and I had this this God conscious, and so I, I just completely, I just completely just became this person that was just on fire. For God that night, on that curb, I felt the the Holy Spirit convict me, and I called my grandmother that night, and she led me to Jesus over the phone at sixteen years old from a fake million dollar bill. That lady check this out will never know what I do today. All she was doing was passing out fake million dollar bills, hoping that it penetrated someone 's heart, and now I have devoted my life to full time ministry. Because at 16 years old, when I was going to the movie theater to watch Polar Express, <laughs> this lady decided to give me this fake million-dollar bill. So I tell you that because after that, I just became this jerk for Jesus. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to go on fire for God. And so I just went extreme. Like, I just was like, everything is going to be about God. Like, I'm just going to car- carry my Bible around school. I was that guy. I was just an idiot. I, I, Jesus juked people. I may have told y'all that. Like people always would ask me things and I would always go back to Jesus with everything. They'd say, Marquise, who are you going to prom with? I'm going to prom with Jesus. <laughs> Leave me alone. Marquise, we're going out to lunch. Do you want anything? I'm going to eat manna from heaven from on high. Like, that was me. I was that idiot that just turned everything into a Jesus conversation. And so I just went on fire for God, and I just was, like, walking around. I would see people kissing. I'd be like, those sinners. God, pray for them. I was that dude, y'all. Like, I, I think back, and I'm like, I hate that guy. But I became that guy. And, and, and here's why I say that, because I got really, really good at church. Even though I was like this jerk for Jesus, I got really, really good at church. I, I knew when, when to lift my hand. I knew the songs. I would sit just like on the front row. I would amen the pastor. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just knew how to do it. It I, I started off organic, and then it just transitioned into, yeah, yeah, this is what I do. Like, I'm, I'm just going to be this guy. Even the people that I went to high school with, if you talk to them today, they're like, yeah, Marquise was that guy who just carried his Bible and always tried to talk about scripture because I just wanted to put on this front and I got really, really good at church. I love the music in, in, in a black church context, I knew when to shout. Shouting isn't with your mouth, it's with your feet. You start dancing. So I knew when to dance. I got an amen right here, you know what I'm talking about. Like I knew all of those things. I knew what to do in church, but I got really, really good at church, but I also got really, really good at hiding. Think about this. Uh, I know for a fact um, that there's people in this room under the sound of my voice that, that, that could fake it, that knows what it's like to come into this room and say all the right things and know exactly what people want to hear. And you go to group and you get to just, just get to play church. But, but you could do all of the church things and leave and, and still be hiding truth of the matter is, a lot of us, when we come to church and and we're just kind of going through the motions, we get good at church, but we also get good at hiding. And no one, in my opinion, was a better hider than I was. I've got really, really good at hiding things. And although people would say, yeah, Marquis, he's a Christian. He loves Jesus. He knows all of the church songs. He knows all of the things What they didn't know was that Marquise was also really, really good at hiding. Truth of the matter is, though, I'm not the only one that has come to church hiding things. I'm not the only one that that has come to church and has hid things from the group, that has hid things from your friends or your peers. We all can attest to being good people, but also really, really good at hiding. And the truth of the matter is, hiding is comfortable. Think about it. Hiding is really, really comfortable. When you come into this place and, and no one knows what's going on, it's really, really comfortable to just say, Yeah, like I'm good. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. Anybody else go to I'm Fine community church? When, when someone asks you how you doing, I'm good. I'm fine. How's your marriage? I'm fine. I'm good. We good. Everything's good. Stop asking me stuff. Because we put on this front. But although hiding is comfortable and although hiding seems easy, the truth of the matter is there's also some problems with hiding. There's also some problems when it comes to hiding. One of the problems uh, that that comes with hiding things from, from your community, the people that you do life with, is this, and you know this to be true, that just because things are hidden doesn't mean they're not there. Just because things are hidden doesn't mean they're not there. You've played that game where you know your room is supposed to be clean when you used to live at home with your parents or maybe you still do, and they're like, hey, is your room clean? And they walk in it, and it looks clean, but all you've done was put it under the bed, throw it in the closet, Anybody else fold their clothes by mushing them up like me and putting them in the drawer? Like you just got really, really good at hiding. But just because it's hidden doesn't mean it's not there. And the truth of the matter is there's some things that we walk into church with on a daily or, excuse me, a weekly basis. And although it's hidden, you would attest to the fact that it doesn't mean that it's not there we still feel the effects, although it's hidden. Although it's unseen, we still feel the effects. So so the big problem with hiding things is just because it's hidden doesn't mean it's not there. The second problem with hiding things is this, just because things are hidden doesn't mean they aren't heavy. It doesn't mean that uh, because you are hiding it well and no one else knows that it isn't getting heavy. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. Isn't that lie that no one knows about getting heavier? Is, isn't that, that secret that no one else knows about weighing you down? It doesn't matter what it is. It, it could be the smallest thing. Like like this this, this iPad, it's, it's, it's 30 ounces max. And I could come into church and I could hold this and I could be fine because th- this is light. And-, and just like our mess and just like our sin and just like the things that have happened to us that no one knows about, we could come in here and say, yeah, this is small. But, but for those of us in the room that's been holding this for five years, you know it's getting heavier. For those of us who's been holding that secret for longer than a week, you, you know it's getting heavier. You see, the, the lie that the enemy tries to tell us is that it has to be a big sin. It has to be a big thing in order for it to be heavy. No. You, you don't have to be addicted to black tar heroin for this to be heavy. I just feel like that's kind of like the worst drugs. So that's why I said that. <laughs> but, but you don't have to have the, this this. this Epic, epic story of something that's super, super heavy. You could have something that's light. And even as I'm holding this 30-ounce iPad, can I tell you something? It's getting heavier. And you know, you know that that secret, you know that that thing that possibly has happened to you, you know that that sin that has gone unchecked, you know that that that, that funk that you may be in, that, that you just aren't sharing with anybody else, you know that it's getting heavier. Because the truth of the matter is just because it's hidden, it doesn't mean that it's not heavy. Here's the third problem with us hiding things in the the corners of our hearts and our minds that no one knows about is is simply this. Just because things are hidden doesn't mean you've dealt with it. let's, Let's go ahead and be real here. Just because it's hidden doesn't mean you've dealt with it. Just because uh, uh, you, you, it's hidden doesn't mean that you've actually hit it on, head on, and, and actually confronted it. Again, we've, we've gotten really good at hiding. J- just because no one knows about that addiction doesn't mean you've dealt with it. You just got really good at clearing your search history. Just because no one knows uh, about that, that beef that you have with somebody, it, it, you didn't really deal with that beef. You didn't really deal with that gossip. You didn't really deal with that. You just stopped talking to them. You didn't actually stop smoking. You just got really, really good at hiding it. You, you, didn't, you didn't stop lying. You just, you just convinced yourself that they're white lies and that they don't really matter. You see, because just because it's hidden, it doesn't mean that you've dealt with it, and I know for a fact there's a lot of us in this room, just like myself, that we can come to church and get really, really good at church, so much so that we get really, really good at hiding. As a matter of fact, this next point could speak to all of the stuff that we've hidden, and it's simply this, that what you don't show always grows. What you don't show always grows. As a matter of fact, here's here's just an example of what this looks like. For a lot of us, our stuff doesn't live in the light. Our stuff lives in the dark. Let me show you what I mean. For a lot of us in this room, this is where our sin lives. For a lot of us in this room, this is where that secret that no one knows about, it, it lives right here. That thing that, that possibly happened to you when you were younger or that, that addiction or that, that thing that you're not sharing with anybody else and you can't seem to just shake it, it, it doesn't live in the light, it lives right here. And right here, can I be honest with you, it, it feels comfortable. Because no one can see it. And it, it feels like I can, I can manage it and I got, I got it under control because it lives right here. But what you don't realize is that what's taking place in here, like right here, is that that mistake, that sin, is getting stronger. It's getting bigger. It's getting harder harder. To manage, And, and tonight, I, I just want to take for just a moment, I just want to show us what it looks like to take things from here, this, this moment of darkness and, and, and evilness and, and the things that are tearing us down. I want to move from darkness to light. I want to move from keeping things there to showing you what it looks like to move things to here, the light. Because in that darkness, y'all, and you know this, that thing is getting stronger. And no one sees it, but it's getting heavier. And no one knows about it, but it's weighing you down. And so tonight, I just, I just wanna show you what, what I've learned about hiding things really, really well and playing church really, really well And being able to come to a place like this that's centered around community, that's centered around you being able to share your burden with others and show you what it's like to move things from the darkness to the light. And I just wanna show you two uh, uh, passages of scripture that I have found that have changed everything for me. It changed everything for me. They're two different perspectives. The first one is from this guy by the name of David. If you know anything about David, David was not the type of guy that was just like this super, super stand up guy. His life was like morally right. You could follow him, and there was no wrong doing in his life. As a matter of fact, David messed up a lot. And there was one verse that he actually talks about the, 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 the weight of carrying the thing that was weighing him down. And, and I, I love this verse because it so perfectly sums up exactly what it's like to carry things by yourself. David said this, he said, "'When I refused to confess my sin, "'my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. "'Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. "'My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat.'" Look at, look at the imagery that he uses. He said, when I refused to confess my sin, confessing your sin, it goes back to you. It, it, it's a you thing, whether you uh, uh, willingly do it or you refuse to do it. But, but David is admitting that he refused to confess his sin. And he said that, that all of these things happened. He groaned all day long, his body felt like it wasted away. Look at how heavy this was on David. All because he refused to confess his sin to God. How many of us in this room right now are refusing to confess? What's really going on? How many of us are refusing to admit, dang, man, I'm really, really, I'm really, really struggling. See, this isn't the type of place where we want to just come and, and, and just play church or have church. As a matter of fact, the, the team here at, at TLR Woodstock, Sammer and the team, they, they've really committed to saying, we want this place where everyone is fully known. You don't have to refuse to confess your faults. But look at what David said next. After he refused, he said, finally. Even as I read this, I feel like this is just like an exhale. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, talking about God, and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you, watch this, Forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. David said, I, I really no one really knows. Like historians and theologians, they don't know what sin he was talking about, but whatever it was, it was weighing him down so much because he refused to share his sin with God. But then he said, Finally, Whew after carrying this thing all by myself, after just holding on to this thing, I confessed it to you. I confessed everything to you and you forgave me. He said, you forgave me. You see, that's God's job in us confessing to him. God is willing and waiting to forgive us, but we keep trying to hide it from him. Since the beginning of time, in the book of Genesis, when man messed up, the first thing we did was hide. We sin and then we hide. We sin and then we hide. God, in in, in the garden, after man and woman fell and, and, and messed up, he came looking for them and he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam and Eve were hiding because it's our default reaction after we mess up to hide. And God it's saying on the other side of your confession is my forgiveness. That, that's my job. That's what I do. I'll never forget um, growing up around middle school, uh, things had gotten so hectic around our house uh, where my mom was just like, listen, I, this house is filthy. We were playing sports. No one could keep up with the schedules. Everything was just crazy at the house. My mom said, this is it. We're getting a housekeeper. I was excited because I grew up on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So I thought it was going to be like a Jeffrey. At best, I was like, it's going to be Zach and Cody and Esteban, right? Like, they're just going on my every beck and call. It wasn't that. It turned out to be one of the worst things ever. Because uh, our housekeeper, her name was Isabella, she would come every other Saturday. And every Saturday morning at the crack of dawn, my mom would get up, wake us up, and say, all right, it's time to clean the house. We're like, what are you talking about? Like, Isabella's coming what are you talking about? And she would make us clean the baseboards. I'm talking about clean, clean. And she was like, listen, I don't care that Isabella is coming. Like, I I, I don't want her coming up in here thinking that we nasty. That was her favorite line. "I, I don't want her coming up in here thinking that we nasty. And I'm like, mom, but we are nasty. We're disgusting, okay? Like, we're, this is just us. And so Isabella, every other day, all she would do is, is, is dust a little bit, get the check, and leave. And it became one of the worst things for us. And I'll never forget sitting in the kitchen one day after Isabella was done and my mom was paying her, Isabella uh, looked at, at my mom and, and said to my mom, she said, hey, God, no. <laughs> she said this. She said, um, hey, I, I love, like, doing my job and I, I love what you're doing, but When are you going to stop? When are you going to stop trying to do my job for me? When are you going to stop trying to do my job for me? This is what I was hired for. Can I echo what Isabella said to my mom and and also say it to you from God? You know what God is saying to us? When are you going to stop hiding things and let me do my job? When are you going to stop hiding that thing that no one else knows about and, and let me do my job? My, my job is to forgive you. My job is to take that guilt away. My job is to take that shame away. But you're not letting me do that because you're trying to clean up clean up before I actually get to you. And, and the gospel says you don't have to clean yourself up before I get to you. I'm coming to clean you up. I'm going to do that with you. You don't have to fix yourself before coming to me. God is saying, I want you just the way that you are, whatever you're in, whatever sin you're in, whatever addiction you're in, whatever you're dealing with, God is saying to us, ladies and gentlemen, when are you going to stop hiding and let me do my job? And a lot of us in this room, we're blocking that forgiveness and we're blocking that, that guilt and shame being gone Because we're trying to do God's job by cleaning up our lives by ourselves, And we were never meant to do that. So David said, I finally got to the point where I just gave it to you. I just gave it to God. And what David experienced was forgiveness. And I got to let you know this. I don't know what you may be involved in. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I'm telling you on the other side of confession is forgiveness. God isn't on the other side of your confession waiting to say, you messed up again. You ruined your chance. You missed the mark. Like, your chances are blown. No, on the other side of your confession is forgiveness. When you confess that to God. But I got to tell you something. Here's, that's... that's in my life, I can't, I can't attest or speak for you, in my life, that was 1.0, was confessing to God. Here's 2.0, here's, here's one of the, the bigger challenges. Here's where I wanna turn the heat up just a little bit because for me, it was easier to say, you know what, God, let me stop hiding and confess my faults to you. But a deeper or more challenging uh, uh, position to take was what, was what uh, um, uh, not, not just what David said, But what James picked up later in Scripture, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this when it came to confession. James said, confess your sins to God? No, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. He says that the prayers, man, the prayers of a righteous person produces wonderful results. But but here's the deal. He didn't just say that you get to pray and confess to God and everything goes away. That's good. And that's the first step. But James said the second step is to confess your sins to each other. I don't know about you, but for me, the easier part was to do it to an invisible God and say, you know what, I'm good. He's forgiven me. All the hell marries, let's go. But to get in a small group and tell the people in my group what I was actually dealing with now you're asking for too much, God. This is, listen, God, I, I really don't want to go there. I don't trust these people. I'd rather, I'd rather watch this function in my dysfunction than to tell these people. I'd rather carry this thing. I'd rather hide this thing than to actually trust the people in this group. I don't know about confessing this to the group. And if that's you in this room, let me tell you, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you, bruh. I'm right there with you, sis. Like, I, I, I don't trust people easily. I've, I've gone through some things. I've done some things. And, and it was really, really hard for me. But, but James is saying something here that is so powerful. He said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We all want to experience healing, but we all don't want to do what it takes to actually get healed. And James is saying, and God is saying, that if you really want that healing, like how bad do you want it? If you really want that healing, whether it's big or small, whether it's something that you've done, whether it's a sin that you've committed, or a sin that's been committed against you, if you really, really want it, it's going to come by way of you confessing your fault to me, as in God, but it's also confessing your faults and your sins to each other. When's the last time you walked into group and said, hey, guys, hey, y'all, hey, girls, here's everything I'm dealing with. Because here's what I found in, in, in dealing with uh, small groups for, for a, a long period of time now. Uh, most of us, when we get in a small group, we go around 90%. There's other, others of us that are, that, that are less than that. But for the most part, when we're like, you know what? I am all in. I am fully known. You've probably told 90% of your story. But have you gone the last 10%? Whew. And let me say this, that last 10% is scary. And a lot of us, the reason why we don't confess to one another is because we don't know what's on the other side of that. We don't know if on the other side of us confessing this to the people that we're watching this with right now at home, if they're gonna label us. If, if they're going to talk about us at school, if they're gonna talk about us in our friend group, if they're gonna to think to themselves, yeah, I don't really, yeah, I'm gonna pray for you, but I don't really trust you. And I'm not saying that 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 can't be true. What I'm saying is that it's worth the risk for you to come into a group and go the last 10%. I meet with a men's group every Thursday night, and we get together, and we break bread, and we have fun, and we joke, and we talk about football, we talk about sports, we talk about March Madness. And then the conversation turns where we start to get serious. We say, now, who's, what's everyone dealing with? And one of the most convicting questions that, 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 that the leader of the group always starts with or says at the end of group, he says, okay, um, what's something you thought I wouldn't, or that you wouldn't want me to ask you? What's something that you thought about that you were hoping I wouldn't ask? Hey, what's that last 10%? Have you you shared that last 10%? Can I ask y'all, have you shared that last 10%? Because here's what I have found just from these two pieces of scripture. The first is this, that confessing and praying and planning with God equals forgiveness. This this is how we do this. We confess, we pray, and we plan. We come up with a plan that leads to forgiveness. And y'all, there's nothing like the feeling of forgiveness from the God who created the entire universe. And the gospel says that you don't have to clean yourself up before you, you come to God, that he is already waiting to accept you just as you are. Not that you're going to stay as you are, but he's willing to accept you just as you are. And, and you're going to be received with open arms and forgiveness. So David said that we confess We pray, we plan to God, and that leads to forgiveness. And then James picks it up, and he says that we confess, we pray, we plan, and it leads to accountability. Here's the formula that I want to leave for y'all tonight. Here's here's where I want to land the plane. Simply this. Forgiveness plus accountability equals healing. Forgiveness from God plus accountability from a peer group or a mentor leads to healing. And we all want to be healed. Here's the deal, y'all. Sin thrives and gets bigger in darkness, and it gets weaker in the light, but only you have the power to turn the light on. Sin grows in the darkness. It gets weaker in the light, but only you have the power to get up and turn the light on. And and like David said in his psalm, God, flash your light on my soul, and if there be any wickedness in me, reveal it to me so that I could clean it out. Because to be 90% known is to be unknown. Can I just say that? To be 90% known is to be unknown. And I know we feel like we're doing something because we're like, yo, I've shared majority of my story. I've shared majority of what I'm dealing with today, but I'm telling you to be 90% known is to be unknown. Because the bottom line is this, and I know it's scary, but it's, it's simply this. Everyone doesn't need to know something but someone needs to know everything. Mm. Listen, not everyone needs to know everything, but someone needs to know everything. Who's that person? Let me go ahead and just, I'll finish here. This is my own personal story. So you don't have to feel convicted about this at all. If you do, A hit dog will holler, but this is my story. For me, I experienced extreme healing on the other side of me confessing my faults to someone. Years ago, seven years ago, I cheated on my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And it was one of those things that I walked around with, and I thought to myself, I'm carrying this to my grave. I don't want anyone to know about this. I'm, I'm a failure. I've, I don't want to ruin this. I don't want to make this mistake. I, I, I don't want to carry this on my own, but this is what I did. Why? Because I was insecure, I was a coward, and I was selfish, and I was only thinking about me. That's that's what cheaters do. That's who cheaters are. You're insecure, you're selfish, you're only thinking about you, and you're a coward. I'm sorry to just kick you in the chest like that, but it's the truth. That's what it was for me. And that's who I was. And I carried that. And I said, man, I don't want to ever tell her because I may lose her. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to confess this to God, and that'll be enough. And I confessed it to God, and I said, God, this is what I've done. You've already known this. You've seen this. You've, you know the dark parts of my heart. And I confessed it to God, and I said, this is it. I'm forgiven. My slate is clean. But, y'all, it still, it still was nagging at me. Because I thought by just telling God, like it was good, I was just gonna get away with it. But I knew, like James said, I had to tell someone else. And everyone didn't need to know my business. I did not need to put this on Facebook. I didn't need to put this on Instagram. I just needed to tell a trusted person. And so I remember finding that person. His name was Adam Atchison. He was an elder and a pastor at our church, and he was over the soul care ministry. And I said, I got to confess this to you, Adam. And I remember telling Adam, and I said, Adam, I cheated on my girlfriend, man. I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't want to tell her, but I'm carrying this. And it it is heavy on me. And he prayed for me. And he walked with me. And he was there for me. And I experienced healing because of it. Then he challenged me and he said, now you got to go tell Crystal. And I was like, I'll do that. I told him that verbally. In my mind, I was like, I'll never do that. This is, how, this, is how, this is how sin works. This is how the enemy works. He wants you to grab onto that thing and hold on to it and keep it in the darkness as long as you can. No, I ain't got to let this thing go. I'm not sharing this with nobody. And so I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'm never, ever going to admit this. And I remember walking away from that, and I felt better, but I still hadn't confessed it to the person that I wronged. And I'm not prescribing any method or saying that you should do any of the stuff that I've done. But this is my story. Three weeks before we got married, the girl who I cheated with came to Crystal and told her everything. Three weeks before we got married. At this moment, My then fiance, we had been boyfriend and girlfriend. We had then been engaged. Remember, I'm holding on to this thing. I'm not telling her anything. So we get engaged because I'm still too scared. I'm still too selfish to admit her, to tell her the truth. So I'm holding on to it. We become engaged. We're now fiancés to one another. And we're three weeks from our wedding date, and the girl comes out and tells Crystal, And I think to myself, it's out. And I remember sitting down with my then fiance and confessing everything. And y'all, it was the most excruciating, most heartbreaking, most soul crushing thing I had ever gone through. Along with all of those feelings, can I be honest with you? It was also one of the most freeing, burden lifting feelings that I have ever felt. Although it crushed me, although trust was broken, although we were now carrying something as a result of me, no one else but me, It was also one of the most freeing and and, and healing and helpful things that have ever happened to me. It was like two ships passing in the night. Although it hurt, it also was one of the most freeing things in the world. Here's why I tell you that. Because Adam, he allowed me to confess to him. But then I confessed to Crystal and through that whole process, and, and, and I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of, of counseling and, and healing and, and, and praying and tears and all of that. I'm skipping over that to just for the sake of time, but we have to go through all of that. But I'm telling you, on the other side of that confession was healing. And I tell you that because I'm not saying that it's not gonna cost you something, it cost me broken trust early on in our marriage. It cost me a a, a messed up view of how my now or or my then uh, wife looked at me. It cost me all of that. It came with a cost, but it was also healing. And y'all I could have spoke about anything tonight and I tried to stay away from this message, but I believe God put this on my heart because it's for somebody in this room. Not everyone needs to know everything, but someone does. Someone needs to know everything that's going on. And I don't know know if that person's trustworthy, but you don't know if someone's trustworthy until you trust them. There's no other way. I'm telling you, there's no other way to find out if someone is trustworthy until you actually trust them. Think about it. I'm just gonna wait and see how it pans out what he does with other people or how she goes with other people. Yeah, but that's not you. It's not until you actually trust them to find out if they're actually trustworthy. And y'all, my prayer is that we pull every ounce of sin regret and mistake, out of darkness, we pull it into the light where the Father of, of, of heaven and the King of kings, who, who the Bible says his ear is, is not too heavy where he cannot hear and his arm is not too short where he cannot save, that person wants to carry what you've been dealing with. And it's on the other side of confession. Let me pray for us. God, I don't know why you, why you led me to this. But I do believe you led me to this for a reason and a purpose. And God, there's somebody that sat through this message who felt like that dude is talking to me. I don't know what they're going to do with the weight that they feel right now in the pit of their stomach. I don't know what they're going to do with what they're carrying right now. I'm not saying tonight's the night. Maybe it is. But God, would you begin to stir in them, like you did in me, that burden to share it with someone else. It doesn't necessarily have to be the person that they've wronged. That's what it was for me, though but it is to share with you and it is to share with someone down here on earth because confession plus accountability equals healing. So God, I'm praying you give them the courage and the boldness to confess that thing. It's weighing them down. It's bleeding out into their friendships. It's bleeding out into their relationships. It's bleeding out into every area of their life. Will you give them the courage to confess it? It'll come with a cost. (laughs) Maybe big, maybe small, but it's gonna come with a cost. But God, It's worth the risk. I say this as someone who's on the other side of that mess, that confession was the best thing that has ever happened to me. Pray all these things in your matchless holy name, amen.